the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I got a busy show, so I'm going to stay short on the wink today, but I'll get right to it. Uh, What you need to know today, and we got a great interview coming up uh, with Kristen Hawkins, uh, uh, Students for Life, extraordinary uh, young woman, really fearless. And, uh, we, you know, when you hear her talk, you're like, okay, I can can do the piece I'm doing. And then we got a great one with uh, Joe Palmasano, a uh, businessman, actually, a a business owner who's written an interesting, fun book. And... uh, great guy. We'll talk to him also. But listen, let me get to what I want to tell you about. Um, Amidst all of the things that are going on, the left is not leaving anything to chance. Okay. So, and this is actually, this could be a part of how we can succeed because they are cannibalizing their own. And what do I mean by that? Well, the, um, the, the Federal Reserve which is this way too powerful, uh, unaccountable, insane situation, the Federal Reserve, where they're basically in cahoots with the big government and uh, and especially big business, big corporation, to make sure that the corporations succeed and government gets more powerful. Well, uh, the guy who's been the chairman, his name is Powell. And Powell is a guy who is supposed to be up for re-election. And it turns out that he is getting attacked by the far left. They're coming after him. They're saying that he is not the right guy, that he's not, you know, he's not, he's uh, he's too corporate and all that stuff. And they want to put in place one of these crazy left wingers. You know what? Let him have at it. Now, the reason why is because I hope that the Federal Reserve does crazy stuff and we see a real movement to shut him down. You know, back in the day, Ron Paul, 15 years ago, he he gathered a coalition of people just on audit the Fed. We don't even know what they do there. And now what we're finding out is that lots of people that are the Fed governors who are in charge of the world, like it's a huge control, they're making money, selling things right before uh, stocks drop. And so this guy Powell is being targeted, which is fine, right? Let's go, let's see this guy and let's see if the marks, you know, the crazy left wingers will put their left wingers on the and and you know what they said the federal reserve said that the the guy the woman who's trying to become the chairman instead of uh, this Powell guy she said we got to get make sure the federal reserve is uh, uh, uh working for climate change what we're going to have our federal bank our reserve bank be involved in climate change in managing climate change is that is that where we're headed and if it's true well okay let's get to that so america can see and here's another trick the detail so the republicans can understand or conservatives can understand, it'll be some Democrats perhaps, Manchin could be, that they have to stop this stuff, right? It, 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 nothing will clarify the effort to get something done than to see where this is headed, hopefully. I mean, I certainly don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not interested in the Federal Reserve being in charge of um, of climate uh, decisions or climate change uh, efforts, but I am for the fact that we get to the bottom, and let's go all the way to the bottom so there'll be real reform, Let's go all the way to the bottom so that people will say that they are going. Because here's the craziness. You know, the Joe Biden is going over to, where's he going? He's going over to Scotland, is it? For the meeting of the uh, of the uh, climate change, the Greenies. And, and he's bringing 13 cabinet members. 
13 cabinet members. So the, clearly this, um, this administration wants to make this their priority. So let's let them, t- t- let, let, let's them have them just cannibalize all these institutions and we'll go from there. And hopefully it will strengthen people to stand up and fight back. All right, I got to run, though. I got to go because we're going to come back. We got a lot to cover today. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. That's what you need to know. Go to ProAmericaReport.com, sign up for the daily email, get all this stuff in your inbox, and a lot more. We'll be right back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is Kristen Hawkins. And Kristen Hawkins is the uh, extraordinary leader, uh, president of Students for Life. If you go to studentsforlife.org, you can learn lots more about what they do. But uh, one of the things that caught my eye this week is the announcement that Kristen Hawkins will be going out to college campuses. I love, I'm chuckling because this is the old uh, late Phyllis Schlafly for whom I worked in hundreds and hundreds of college campuses. It was tough back then, but now the, the left makes it really hard. So it's impressive that she's doing it. And that's with <laughs> Students for Life Action. And Kristen Hawkins, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me, Ed. Good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you now. So first, before we get to your tour, let's talk about the Supreme Court. And, uh, you know, the title of your tour is The Future is Anti-Abortion, Preparing for a Post-Roe America. What's your, you know, I bet you get this a million times, and, and, and you're not a lawyer, but you're an expert, so you get it. What's your opinion on Dobbs? What's your, you know, sense of Dobbs v. Uh, Jackson Women's Health, the Supreme Court case? Do you have any gut on it? Do you have any feeling on it? What's your sense about that case? Sure. I think, you know, a lot of folks would say that we're very optimistic about the case, excited that the court agreed to actually take up this challenge. You know, it's the first challenge um, in decades that actually challenges uh, pre-viability abortions, actually since Roe. Um, It's significant, and it shows a willingness of the court to reconsider its earlier opinion in 1973. Um, I don't think it's going to be, you know, quite the windfall for the pro-life movement that Planned Parenthood and their fundraising emails are making it out to be, you know, their... They're amping up their base, saying this could be a you know a total liberation of of, of of the right quote unquote right to kill your child in the womb and the end of all legal abortions. I don't think the court will go that far. I pray that boy, I pray that they do. I do see though a significant chance uh, that the court will uphold the Mississippi law. That that's what this Dobbs case is about, uh, which right. bans abortions at 15 weeks, dismemberment abortions when children can feel excruciating pain. I do think that they they will likely rule to uphold the, the state's right uh, to limit these types of painful dismemberment abortions, which would then, um, you know, lead to a domino effect across the country of states banning abortions in the second trimester. Um, right. And, and which, I mean, by the way, is, you know, vastly in line with the, with Americans' views on abortion. I mean, it is, uh, there are very few people in America who actually want to see abortions legal in the second and third trimester. Yeah. We're talking with Kristen uh, Hawkins, the president of Students for Life. Uh, studentsforlife.org is the website. It's, there's a lot there, a lot more than just uh, this um, uh, conversation about her tour on university campuses. But uh, the title of your talk, your, your tour is The Future is Anti-Abortion. One of the details yeah. in there is what you've been talking about a lot for years, as far as I remember, is 
young people, millennials and Gen Z, they, they poll them and they, they really have shifted or they are pro-life. Uh, you know, they, they're much different than the media will make it seem like, oh, if you're on TikTok, you must be left on, all, you know, moderate mm-hmm. or, or liberal on all these issues. Tell us about what you both see in the polling and then on these many campuses where you have chapters of Students for Life. What, what, tell us about these young people. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's, there's a very clear narrative that the left wants us to believe about young people when it comes to abortion. And I'm, trust me, I'm not going to get into young people's beliefs on a whole host of issues because it is scary, <laughs> especially when you think yeah. about uh, their tolerance for socialism and, pol- you know, socialist policies, for example. Right. But when it comes right. to abortion, um, they, you know, they've grown up in an age where they've seen their brothers and sisters via ultrasound. And so to right. them, it's a very simple human rights question. Well, of course, that's a human being. Of course, that's a child in a womb. And, and this isn't to say that there aren't those who, you know, will spout the antiquated talking points that, you know, your boss, uh, late boss Phyllis heard in the 1970s of it's, you know, it's a blob of tissue. It's nothing. But those those arguments right. are scientifically unsound and so very very quickly those arguments fade away when we're on college campuses Um, and then there's also the reckoning that the abortion industry has to do with itself and the damage they've inflicted upon millions of women every you know person that we talk to on a college campus knows someone who has had an abortion and they know those decisions are made painfully and they recognize and a lot of people will come up and students who who might even call themselves pro-choice who will talk about how, you know, their friend had an abortion, their mother had an abortion, how they had to have an abortion. And then they quickly then start telling how they regret their abortion, how hard it was after their abortion. And so there's just this, you know, sense out there that maybe this isn't the best thing that we can be offering to women who are facing an unexpected uh, pregnancy situation. Uh, again, we're talking with Kristen Hawkins. So now you're going out onto college campuses, Kristen, and Kristen Hawkins mm-hmm. is the president of Students for Life, studentsforlife.org. Um, you've done a lot of that already. And so when you, I mean, you, you've been some places they make you, they, they, they go crazy. They're unhappy. A lot of places they, there's lots of students that want to, they start these chapters. First of all, how many chapters on college campuses do you have now? It's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, we'll, we'll be over 1,300 active groups on high school and college <laughs> wow. campuses in all 50 states. Wow, wow, amazing. Okay, so when you go out there, is the future of, uh, the future is anti-abortion. Um, you're, you know, preparing for a post-Roe America. What is your message, mm-hmm. especially to the kids? Is it, is it about, um, like you said, the domino effect? Is it, I mean, are you doing one of those, like, almost, um, if this, then this, if that, then that, if, you know, in other words, there could be three or four, there'll be, I mean, there's an infinite number of ways the decision could come down in the Dobbs sure. case. How, how are you talking about the future? Yeah, I actually don't talk a lot about the political, the legal, um, because I, I, like you just said, there's so many different ways uh, and, you know, strategists, uh, legal strategists, uh, you know, have competing visions and differing visions of how Roe will eventually crumble and fall. What I'd like to focus on is what is going to be there the day after Roe falls, the day after abortion right. is made illegal um, in, in, you know, dozens and dozens of states. And we begin to campaign in other states, you know, and fight for eventual 
uh, constitutional amendment to ban all abortions. Um, and that's really what I want to talk to students about and the conversation I hope to spur because what the left has done for so long, what they've been so brilliant at is they've almost scared women into believe. And this is why, honestly, I mean, I'm going to Wellesley for my first stop on Thursday and I just read scans through this 35 page document that the students of 800 students there wrote and signed in protest against me, demanding that their administration cancel me, demanding that they strip all uh, rights from our students for life group for daring, daring to host me on campus. Um, wow. But but what I really want to talk to these students about is why are they so afraid? Um, why do they feel like the right to kill your child is somewhat ingrained um, in, into what who you are as a woman? And that if you don't have this right to kill your child, that you suddenly have lost all of your human rights. Um, and that, that is why they're angry. That's what they'll be yelling and screaming at me and cursing at me on Thursday. That's what they did at the Women's March to us just a few weeks ago when we were out there and we saw the most violent and, you know, most vitriol we've ever seen um, combating and standing in peaceful opposition against, you know, these women's marches. Um, that's why I really want to talk to students about is what, what's it going to be like? Where are the resources and support for her? Can't we do better uh, than just shipping her off to a predatory abortionist who's going to profit off of, off of her uh, dilemma, off of her crisis? Yeah, we're, we're talking with Kristen Hawkins. Well, one, one last question, Students for Life and her tour, which kicks off at Wellesley this week, which is this. Um, you're perfect for it in a way, Kristen, because even though you're tough, and I'm sure you can be, uh, like you can be sort of, uh, I don't know if this is the wrong phrase, but mean if you wanted to be. I mean, you, 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 come, across, you come across as sort of um, gentle. You have a way you're not angry, right? And, and, the, and the late Phyllis Schlafly, again, she's talking about being a happy warrior. You have that sort of sensibility. But still, on Wellesley's campus, are, 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 frankly, are there minds and hearts you can change? Because it feels like, you know, uh, you're going to get treated so poorly and then and there and i don't know i i shouldn't say this but it feels like it might be a lost cause i mean learning how to talk to someone uh how to talk about life issues on a Hmm. let's say university of massachusetts at amherst a public school probably pretty liberal but still but wellesley i mean almost if you go there are there conservatives (laughs) there i mean it's like the whole student body's gonna be against you yeah i mean yeah, it does feel like that. Uh, they're all against me, but it's not. And I and I think that we one we know that no one is ever beyond redemption. As Christians, uh, you know, we are called to minister to to all, no matter how lost, uh, no matter how wrong they may be. Um, what we saw at the Women's March, for example, we went out in, in about 25 different cities. We held counter demonstrations, and it was terrible. I mean, we've never seen so much violence and threat violence against our staff and our students. But in the midst of all of that, we actually changed minds. We had marchers drop their signs and join us. We had uh, two women that we knew of that were facing a crisis pregnancy who started yelling at our students, saying, what resources do you provide me? Pro-lifers don't care about me, who then immediately whipped out uh, their pocket cards for all their pregnancy center resources in their community were able to connect women immediately who needed help to help in their community. Um, So I... I really enjoy going to, you know, what would be deemed a hostile environment because I think it, one, it serves to bolster the conservative students on that campus. 
to be unafraid to speak up. I've had a lot of students come up to me and say, oh my gosh, I could never do what you did. But watching you endure that makes what I need to do of standing at a table seem really easy. Um, and so it, it, it emboldens those conservatives on campus to speak up and to say, wow, if, if she's willing to endure this, to simply speak the truth about abortion, there must be something, this must be something worth fighting for. It's also yeah. important because there's always middle of the road people there. There's going to be people yelling at me, screaming at me, trying to interrupt me, but there will be middle of the road people there. And honestly, if I can demonstrate to them the nonsense that the left is spewing, the illogical, unscientific positions that they're spewing, um, that those people, those people on the left will actually change the minds of the middle for me mm. at these mm. presentations. And I've oh. seen it. I've, I want to put a GoPro on me because I can <laughs> see it going, the, the little light bulb going off in, in these students' heads when they're watching people yell and scream at me and just lose their minds. Um, and right. for those who actually want to kind of figure this issue out, it affects them to see those on the other side act so poorly. Hmm. Well, Kristen Hawkins, the tour, the fall speaking tour kicking off. And I think let me make sure I say you're going to Wellesley and then St. Mary's College, then University of California, Irvine and University of San Diego. So you will be out there in the fray. Again, the title of her speaking tour is The Future is Anti-Abortion, Preparing for a Post-Row America. If you go to studentsforlife.org, you can learn more about the tour and also about what Kristen does, the work, important work. Over 1,300 chapters of Students for Life on college and high school campuses. Extraordinary and so much information there. So we'll, listen, we'll be praying for uh, your safety and for the openness of the hearts and minds. I, it's impressive that you're doing it and Thank good you. luck with everything and keep us uh, keep us informed. So God bless you. Thank you. I will. Thank you, Ed. God bless. All, all right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And our next guest is a fascinating thing. You know, when you, as my listeners know, we do the, the show and I get great pitches on books and things. And uh, so I got this pitch on a, a man and his book, and his name is Joe Palmisano. And the pitch on him was incredible. He had done like wild stuff. Like he was uh, in, in China in his 60s. He was a Kung Fu champion. He'd been a business man, a college coach. He'd done all kinds of things. And then he wrote this book, Penguinville, Come Find Yourself. I, I got to talk to this guy. So uh, we got him. Joe Palmasano, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, how are you? It's good to see you. Good to meet you. Well, great to meet you. So tell me, first of all, Kung Fu in your 60s uh, uh, in China. I mean, what the heck is that about? Well, I was training for like uh, four or five years under a Chinese uh, teacher, Sifu, uh -huh. and went to China, decided to go to China and compete in a 22-nation tournament. Um, and believe me, it was like a, a World Series in China. It was unbelievable. Parades down the street, the whole thing. And, wow. um, and, and I competed in 50 and over, and I was probably 60... 65 at the time and won two uh -huh. golds and a bronze uh -huh. and absolutely incredible experience uh, uh, unbelievable 
What um, what uh, you were, in your description, you were a football coach too, and all. Were you an athlete when you were younger, and you took up kung fu later? Is it is it something? I mean, yeah. I, is it? You, you, go ahead. Exactly. I was um, I, I was a college football player, and then I was a college mm-hmm. football coach for eighteen years. And I see. Uh, at about fifty eight, I blew up my shoulder bench pressing about. 320 pounds and realized this is not for me anymore. It isn't going to work. Hmm. So I, I took up something that I thought would last uh, into my 80s. Um, okay. And so I started Kung Fu and and it led huh. to this. Yep. Well, there you have it. All right. So so, so now I'm looking at this book, uh, Penguinville, Come Find Yourself. I I, I was telling the, my listeners off the air, I was telling you that I, I, I was telling Joe that I couldn't find it. I'd, I'd seen it because it's, what would you describe it as? It's it's 17 pages. Is it, it's not a children's book. It's kind of more substantial. So what, if I, I, how'd you get to, you're doing Kung Fu, you got this big career, all this stuff. How'd you do that? What this book, where'd it come from? What's it, what's it about to you? Well, it's actually about, 30 pages, but it's, it's, um, it was a book that I wrote to a- actually counteract everything that's going on with young people right now on social media and everything else, whether comparing themselves to really artificial comparisons, where they're told mm-hmm. to join and get likes and all those things. And the book was designed to tell young people that they're deeper than what they appear. And they're not in their jewelry. They're not in their hair. They're not in their clothes. They're, they're not in the color of skin. They're not in their gender. They're not in any physical disability. Um, that they are much deeper, and they need to start searching for who they are underneath the skin. It was actually designed to try and counteract for young people what's going on in today's environment. Okay, now I'm looking at I the reason I misspoke is that when you guys sent me an electronic copy and it, it looks like it's uh, it's you're right, it's almost 34, 35 pages. So I'm sorry about misstating yeah. that, but I want to prove that Don't I have worry. I have the, I have the thing in front of me. Uh now you're a believer, right? Your faith is part of this that you said, "Hey, I'm going to talk about my, I'm going to do this because of how I see people as a part of uh, uh your faith and created by God." Um are you a a lifelong believer? Are you a convert? Is this part of your uh, uh, energy. Tell me about that part of this. Yeah, it's really funny because I, I was a nightclub owner, successful nightclub owner. Um, wow. Owned about five nightclubs around the country. I did multiple things. I, I married a, a young lady who um, told me about the Lord. Uh, huh. I became saved. I am, uh, it, it took me like 20 years after I was saved to actually give my life over to God. Um, and, and at that point, uh, I realized that uh, who we are is much, much deeper. And we've got, and, and so the message, thus the book, is the message yeah. to kids without getting, without getting spiritual, which I wish I could have, but I didn't. Uh, and maybe the next one, but just the idea that they aren't who they appear and they aren't who they are on the outside and they don't need to join the crowd and they could be part 
uh, of something special and they need to look deeper within. Uh, again, uh, we're, we're talking uh, with uh, the author of the book, uh, Penguinville, Come Find Yourself, Joe Palmisano. Illustrated, I should say that, the illustrations were done by a woman named War- Laura Watson. They're, they're impressive, too, so I want to make sure we say her name and uh, encourage her. Um, uh, Joe, what's the what's the story of the book? I mean, I'm looking at it. I mean, I'm looking at there's inspirational parts of it. Um, I, the very end of it, I like the, the finish. And my, I have children that are 17, 15, 12, and uh, nine. So the very the, the news flash: don't give in to the group. Those who say join the crowd, be just who you are, stand tall, and be proud. I mean, there's a lot of messages in here. But what, who's Penguinville, or what's Penguinville, and how'd that come into your life? Uh, Penguinville is just a mythical place, and I, I just decided to, when, when I wrote the book, actually, Ed, I wrote this probably 20, 25 years huh. ago from son, Zachary, when he was young. And huh. and it, at that time, I had multiple people say, get it published, get it published. So finally, here I am at 68 years old, and I sent it out to some people, and I said, look, tell me straight. Does this make any sense or not? And and I told them I wrote it 25 years ago. They said it it's, has more relevance today than it did 25 years ago. Let me connect you with uh, Laura. Let me connect you with Stephanie Drake, who is a, a designer in England. And let's put this thing together and publish it because it's it's important for today and so actually yeah. that's how it all took place and uh, penguin bill was a design long before penguins were were really popular in literature about 25 years. <laughs> uh, uh we're talking again with joe palmasano uh his book is called a penguinville come find yourself um Joe, I only because I, I didn't do a lot of math, but I did enough math growing up that if you were competing when you were in your 60s in China in Kung Fu, which is at least a, f- a couple of years ago, you're you're you've had some years on you. Um, and you mentioned that 25 years ago you wrote this book. Um, what's right. your perspective on what you've seen change since you were a boy? And I, I don't know. I, you said off the air that you're a Chicago, uh, I mean, a Cleveland Indians fan. I don't know if you grew up in Chicago, but uh, your perspective on what it was like for you to be a boy. And now you raised a son, at least I didn't hear that if you have other children. And now you now you're at this point where you're writing a book. I mean, I, I, talk to me about what you've seen change and what it means. It, it's absolutely upside down. Man. It, it, the world has turned upside down. Um, things that were true are no longer true. Um, in, in, I grew up in the fifties. I grew, I was born in 1953. So I grew up in the fifties and sixties. People sat on porches. People talked. We, we didn't have all the gadgets. I mean, if you wanted to connect the stereo, you had to unplug speakers and take them across the room and sit in the middle where the turntable was. Um, the first TV that I looked at was probably six by six in my grandmother's living room in a council that was probably, it was in a cabinet that was probably six by five. Um, you know, all the neighbors met together. There were, there were black and white, different, different religions. Uh, neighborhoods were open. Houses were open. If I wanted to go into DeFranja's house at six o'clock at night and they weren't home and eat her cookies, I could. Uh, <sighs> they, neighbor, neighbors disciplined other kids. Um, it, it, it was just an environment where people knew each other. 
we're at a point now where people don't know each other because they don't get to meet each other face to face. They do it only through uh, technology. And that's where we're completely, our young people have no idea what it means to sit down face to face and know another person. Yeah, it certainly is a, a challenge. Well, listen, it's a, it's a, uh, is it your first book? This is my first book. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Your second, your second or third or fourth or fifth career is just warming up. So this is very cool. I, again, I'm not good at math, but I think, I'm, I think if uh, if I got my math uh, uh, right, born in 1953, you're somewhere over 50. I can't see. I can't do math. I was an English major, but uh, so you got plenty. You got plenty of time to write more books. So uh, listen. Thank you for coming on, and thank you for writing the book and being out there again. It's Joe Palmasano. The book is Penguinville. Come find yourself, Joe. Um, it, it's um, it's available wherever you buy books. But where can where do you want want us to send people that want to learn more do you want them to go to your website what do you think i i don't really have a website that i didn't make it to 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 do that uh-huh. i didn't get real just go to amazon.com go to barnesandnobles.com okay. go to books and millions whatever okay great all right we'll do it and uh thanks very much we'll have you back on again keep us uh, in the loop on it and we appreciate it very much thank you sir thanks ed you take care All right, we'll take a quick break, everybody. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. When former Indiana Governor Mitch Daniels was being groomed to run for president, he made the foolish statement that the next president should call a truce on the so-called social issues. However, Americans do not want a leader who is unable or unwilling to articulate and lead on important social issues. Four years after Daniel's mistake, many have failed to learn that lesson. The New York Times now proclaims that the libertarian moment has arrived, meaning libertarian ideas about marriage and the family. We hear many people say the libertarian view is to get the government completely out of marriage. But where did that idea come from? It's not found in works of classic libertarian writers. Frederick Hayek's book called The Road to Serfdom is a major source of libertarian thought. Yet neither this nor any of Hayek's later works question the value or necessity of civil marriage in a free society. Even radical libertarian Murray Rothbard, who wanted to privatize nearly everything, never suggested privatizing marriage. Famous novelist Ayn Rand, whose works attacked conventional beliefs like Christianity, never questioned the necessity of civil marriage defined by law. Nothing in their writings suggests that regulation of marriage is somehow inconsistent with individual freedom. None of those famous libertarians wanted to abolish civil marriage. So where do these anti-family ideas come from? They come from Karl Marx and writers on the left. Karl Marx hated what he called the bourgeois family. If communism is to succeed, Marx wrote, the bourgeois family must be destroyed. As conservatives seek new leaders, let's insist that our candidates recognize that marriage and the nuclear family are the essential foundation for a free and prosperous society with limited government. 
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the best way to rekindle the spirit of Phyllis Schlafly and the grassroots movement she energized? In this digital age, patriots and pro-family Americans can find insight and inspiration on our website, phyllisschlafly.com. Then, share your own heart and mind on social media. So join us at phyllisschlafly.com and every weekday for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. And I want to get to a topic I've actually been looking at for a few weeks. You'll remember, you might remember, that I had on the show um, a few weeks ago an author, Dean Reuter. And he wrote a book called The Last Nazi. And in the book, we talked about how there is a department, yeah, a department, a division, an office in the Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Justice, that's job is to uh, hunt down the people who, that's the wrong word, to uh, track down and investigate uh, claims that people who were involved in World War II atrocities, um, if they're true or not, and and to go. And so there's an office that does this, and there's some lawyers in there and then some researchers and all. And you may recall uh, that I'm a lawyer, and you may also recall that I I do, I haven't, you know, in my law degree, my time as a lawyer, I also clerked for a judge, which means I spent a year yeah, in a kind of in a research mindset, a court of appeals judge, a federal court of appeals judge, great man, Judge Pasco M. Bowman, one of the great judges you probably never heard of, just an amazing man out in uh, Kansas City on the federal court of appeals, amazing year. So when I need to, I can really dig into something. So since I, I met with, since I had Do- Dean Reuter on the show a few weeks ago, I've been digging into this question that I brought up to him off the air because I've had requests about this, and this is about George Soros. And the reason why this is so pressing, if you'll pardon me for, you know, for bringing it up now, is because more and more it's being revealed how huge amounts of money are being used to influence our lives. And, you know, I've talked to you about how the one filter that you can rely on is follow the money. And now that the Zuckerberg spending of over $419 million to influence the 2020 election has been revealed, we're starting to get a sense of how targeted this was. Well, George Soros has been doing this in America for at least 25 years. And I remember very specifically when I was running the election board in the city of St. Louis, I was the chairman of the board, seeing and hearing about the so-called Secretary of State's project. And the Secretary of State's project was funded by George Soros groups in order to help elect left-leaning candidates who would oppose photo ID, who would be, you know, for uh, more early voting and for electronic voting, as I recall, but very liberal. Then he moved on, and these are just two that are well-known now. In the last four or five years, he's been running, maybe five years, he's been running an effort, his group's, I don't know if it's him directly, but it's his groups. And, you know, again, one of the things you learn with Zuckerberg's money is you follow the money. If somebody's giving you tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, trust me, they're calling the tune. You know, the old line that uh, he who has the gold calls the tune. So Soros's group moved on to uh, prosecutors, Philadelphia's prosecutor, St. Louis's prosecutor, running candidates in these elections that will no longer enforce the law, that will no longer be on the side of law enforcement. It's a crazy thing. But so Soros's influence, in my opinion... My observation is not in the direction that I think the country should go. And that's just the stuff I can see because his his open society is a very left wing. That's his open society organization. It's very left leaning. So, I mean, if that's your preference, you're allowed to make that policy argument. But if you're, I hate to say it, clever enough to realize that you can use your money to change elections, 
Well, it's starting to get to a different thing. And by the way, the left used to complain about this with, say, the Koch brothers or other people. So, But here's where I want to get to. I was approached about a year and a half ago, two years ago, with a question. There's a very famous video of George Soros on 60 Minutes admitting that as a young man, I think he was only 15. So if you want to say he was under the age of, uh, of, matu- of uh, maturity, you know, under the age of, uh, of adulthood, then you can say that if you'd like. But he talks about how he aided in the confiscation of Jewish Hungarians on behalf of the Nazis. This is at the, in World War II. Now, again, it's a long time ago and all that kind of stuff. But when someone is such a bad influence, his policies, it's worth at least examining who they are. I think it's worth watching that video. But here's why this is pressing to me. What happened in Hungary in the last two weeks is that there was an effort by all of the opposition to uh, Orban to the current uh, uh, president. Is he president or prime minister? I always get that wrong with Hungary. But anyway, Orban Orban has been in power and he has been very effective in many ways. He's also been very clear on the need for Western culture and Christianity. He's also been very clear on the, he's a prime minister. He's also been very clear on the problem of immigration and he's just been a strong guy. Well, what happened in the last few weeks is all of the opposition groups got together, including socialists, plain old liberals, and some conservatives, people that didn't like Orban, and they banded together, and they're all going to run one candidate. And you know who they're running? They're not running the liberal socialist woman. They're not running the um, uh, liberal mayor of a city like Judge, the kind of Judge character, not him. They're not running the socialists like Bernie Sanders. They knocked them out. They're going to run a conservative, a conservative-looking guy. Does this remind you of what the left did in America? They didn't. You didn't have a chance if you were Buttigieg or Sanders or Warren or, or Kamala. They were going to run the old white guy to try to appeal to the middle. And they were controlled. The process was clearly managed by big money. Now, again, whether it's illegal or not, I don't know. But if we know that there are people who are at the center of this, we have to be willing to name names and, and figure out what it means. And here's what I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to start this now. And you're going to see... This segment on this date, late October 2021, this will become an issue. You watch. I'm going to make sure it does. And that's this. In the laws of the United States, when you wanted to become a naturalized American citizen, you have to do, perform certain uh, tests and certain, sign certain documents. And now that we have George Soros, he's an American citizen. He applied for naturalization and he was granted it. But did he lie? Because a number of laws that were passed... In the period of time after World War II, including, by the way, by liberal Democrats that were, you know, because they were trying to track down anybody who was helping the Jew, helping to exterminate the Jews, helping the Nazis. And so Soros had to sign the paperwork where he was asked if he had ever aided the Nazis, if he had ever aided in any of the any of the any of the not, not, not to be crimes, by the way, any of the conduct of World War II. How do you answer that? Do we know? Has anybody told us? Can we know? Now, after he did the 60 Minutes interview where he, he, he said that he helped this uh, protector, this Hungarian protector, he helped him gather up Nazi property and all. Soros then, according to the, we read the newspaper clips on it, he tried to stop the interview. He didn't want the interview to go out because he talks right about it. He says, that's what I did. And he said, you know, I watched these people get taken away and it, it wasn't me. And, and in fact, the interviewer in 60 Minutes says, did you feel any guilt? He said, no, no I didn't feel any guilt. I mean, so he looks kind of cold. He looks very cold. He looks very, doesn't look like a normal thing to say. And he doesn't seem to. He studied in Britain, by the way, after in his, in his youth. He doesn't, it doesn't seem to be a language problem. There's no translation problem. He speaks English fluently. My point is this. 
If a guy is the leader of an effort to undermine a lot of institutions in America, in Hungary, and other places, he says that, right? He has a preference, and he's doing it in a huge way. And, and frankly, if he's not doing it, allowing it, his people, the people that are using his money, are going much further than just a policy argument, in my opinion. They're really going past. They're going towards lots of things about, say, the, the prosecutors that have been elected. It's really lawlessness. And to advocate for that is really not... It's not just not acceptable. It really goes against America. But if you're an American citizen, you can be rotten. If you didn't break the law, I know what you can do. But did he lie? Did Soros lie on his naturalization papers? If he lied on his naturalization papers, he would his citizenship, this has happened before, is revoked. It happened to uh, Domenic, the, uh, the guy that was out in Ohio. I think he was a, a, an auto worker his whole life. They figured out that he was actually one of the, one of the bad actors in the, in the, in the uh, World War II for the Nazis, and he lost his citizenship. It gets revoked. And that would be a big deal, first of all, if he lied, and somebody needs to investigate it. And there's a Department of Justice division that should investigate this. That they haven't, and I'm sure they haven't because I've asked around, is a mistake. A major mistake. It should be addressed. So let's get to the bottom of Soros because he's changing America and the world. With his preferences, he's doing a lot that we should care about. So let's care about it and find out. So that's my challenge. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get this out there and you watch. You're going to hear about this story in the coming months. All right, we got to run. We got to run. Thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley, our great producer and Dodgers fan. Things are going his way now. And uh, also thank you to Joanna for booking our guests. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.